So our sponsor today is GLSA. For those non-members who may be listening in, GLSA or Group Legal Services Association is a professional membership representing the legal services plan industry and provider attorneys. And joining GLSA is just a good way for solos and small firms to increase their business. Check it out at glsaonline.org. Okay, my name is Tom Martin. I'll be your host today. Our podcast is Social Media, What is it Good For? with Nick Rishwain. Um, I'm very excited to introduce you to today's guest, Nick, uh, and I'm very pleased to have him as our guest. Nick is the Vice President of Business Development at Experts.com. The author, he's one of the authors, uh, or the author at ExpertsBlog.com uh, and the host and co-creator of Legal Tech Live. Uh, he's also the founder of a Facebook group uh, that is the Legal Tech community and has a very active following and uh, I'm proud to be a member of that too. So Nick, how are you doing today in Pleasant Hill, California? I'm doing great and doing great. And actually today I'm in the Central Valley, uh, Tom. I'm in Stockton today. That's where experts.com is headquartered and I'm just happy to be here with you. Uh, thank you for having me on uh, and thank you to the GLSA for having me on and appreciate you being a uh, member in the legal tech community on uh, Facebook and and uh, former guest of Legal Tech Live and just an all-around good guy. I really appreciate that about you. Well, thank you, Nick. Uh, I really appreciate that. Also, I you know we, we did have you on a while back. I think it was for the New Year's resolution episode we had at the beginning of 2018. Oh, so, that's right. Yep. Yeah. I um, about that. Yeah, it's been a while. but And because it's been a while, I'm glad to have you back on on the show. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what you do? I know I gave kind of a very minimal thumbnail sketch there, but I want to hear more about what you're doing nowadays. Yeah, uh, thanks. I appreciate that, Tom. I, I, I know I do a lot uh, under a lot of different hats, and, and that confuses people. Uh, I am, as you mentioned, the Vice President of Client Relations and Business Development for Experts.com. Uh, kind of see to day to day operations of experts.com, which is uh, uh, what I refer to oftentimes as a legal tech 1.0 uh, company. Uh, we're an online marketing platform for expert witnesses and consultants, and we basically make it easier and cheaper for lawyers to find expert witnesses. We give experts the opportunity to market their services to experts and consultants because we do have actually a broader range of visitors than just lawyers although uh, they lawyers are generally visiting our site to find expert witnesses in for litigation um, but that's what they do we're a subscription-based service experts uh, in consultants pay an annual subscription fee to join to market their services directly to lawyers who are looking for them uh, for, for a wide variety of areas of expertise. I think we've got over 1,300 areas of expertise. So that is my day-to-day. -day. Uh, that, that's where what I do day-to-day. -day. Uh, most days you'll see me and find me at, at experts.com VP on Twitter. Uh, and uh, you, you'll notice that I'm on that Twitter handle from 8 to 5 generally, uh, whether I'm uh, here or in uh, East Bay. And it, it, whether I'm in the office or in the East Bay, that's where I'm usually at from eight to five. And I've been doing that for uh, just just nine years now. I've been with the company. 
uh, and then uh, working in legal tech, it it kind of whet my appetite for other things that are happening in legal tech. Uh, got some got some interest in a variety of things because I noticed things were really starting to change about 2014 or 2015 things in my mind started to get pretty exciting uh, in the space where it seemed like it was heavy on case management e-discovery related uh, items uh, in the legal technology space I started to see a lot more things such as your own law droid and uh, issues with bots and artificial intelligence and uh, natural language processing and uh, machine learning and automation and things were just really heating up in legal technology. And I saw uh, what I hope will be a continued uh, warming in the space and a lot of new companies popping up, to, whether they're servicing law firms, uh, whether or, or, or servicing uh, consumers directly. I, I started to get excited about the space, wanted to know more about others who were doing things in the space that I'd been working in for four or five years. And uh, so started this show, Legal Tech Live, which is an online video show, uh, which we do, we push it directly to the Facebook uh, legal community group. And then it's uh, also replays are, are on our website at legaltechlive.com and that's just a hobby that's really just a hobby for me to keep uh, finger on the heartbeat uh, meet people who are doing cool stuff in the space i think that's how you and i met tom uh, and for me to inquire about things it's really uh, for for my own stimulation my own interest uh, and it's been fun we've been doing that for about uh, four years now three three and a half four years something like that and uh and and then I do all sorts of side projects, so I, I stay busy. Uh, one of those side projects <laughs> is I'm working with uh, uh, one of those legal tech startups now. I'm uh, uh, working with Text a Lawyer, who is uh, working on lead generation for lawyers, and uh, and I am uh, technically their CMO. So I just stay busy in the space. I, I like it professionally uh, and personally, and it's a way to use my law degree uh, without having to practice law. That's fantastic. Um, well, I, I definitely understand having many irons in the fire. I, I enjoy doing that myself. But I, I'd like to learn more about about your story. Tell me a little bit a little bit about that. How did you get here? Like, did you grow up in the central? Yeah, Central Valley. Yep, born and raised in the Central Valley, uh, and uh, family's still here. Uh, my family is in between here, and uh, as as we. Uh, mentioned earlier, Pleasant Pleasant Hill. So uh, East Bay in Central Valley is uh, uh, where family is, and and I've stayed near the family. We have a I have a close family, uh, big uh, Lebanese family, uh, many lawyers in it, and uh, uh, my father it was one of those. And I decided, well, I I wanted to go to law school. Strangely, he didn't want me to go to law school. He he thought really? get, yeah, he thought getting a a business degree or an MBA would have been better, uh, but I had seen how uh, how he thought about problems and how he took that law degree and went into business uh, after practicing for for uh, several years. And he had gone into real estate, and uh, I saw the way that he approached issues and how he could solve problems, and and I I really appreciated that. So I went on to law school. 
Um, in retrospect, do you, do you think you agree with him? <laughs> in retrospect, I do agree with him. I do agree yeah. with him. I, I've got a, as a, I've got a lot of lawyers in this family, uh, and very few of them are actually practicing. Uh, a lot huh. of them went into business, uh, generally real estate or some other business. Uh, and uh, in retrospect, I, I do I agree with him? That, that's tough because there is that analytical thinking that a lot of, that the legal education gives you that I do think is is really interesting and invaluable in many respects. But I did have to then go on and learn it anything I've learned about business since then has been outside of law school. So, <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, one of those things that, uh, law school doesn't teach you. Yeah, for sure. And just going back for a second to experts.com, sure. you said you've been working, uh, on that for, for nine years now, right? I've been with the company nine years. So before that, uh, uh, af during and after law school, I was working for San Joaquin County. I was a, a public guardian conservator, uh, deputy public guardian conservator. So I took care of the financial and legal um, needs of those who could not take care of it themselves. Uh, and it, I, it was essentially in, in mental health for the county yeah. uh, and uh, acted as a guardian and, and conservator. And after about five or six years of that, uh, you know, I had no training. I had no interest in ever working in the mental health field. Uh, and it, it really burned me out and uh, opportunity. Yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. When you're not trained for it, especially, I think it, it really has a, you don't know what you're dealing with. And, and there's a, a huge uh, learning curve. And it was just it was quite exhausting. Um, I learned a lot, but uh, but I, I don't know that I had the temperament or the interest to to really excel in that field. Uh, and experts.com uh, was in was looking to hire somebody, preferably with a JD. I had that. I wasn't practicing, and it sounded like a great deal to me. Uh, and I've been here since because I've really enjoyed my experience here. I mean, fascinating. Work, uh, work with customers who are fascinating with uh, amazing backgrounds, really uh, highly qualified in such a wide variety of areas and, and learned a lot from them. Uh, at some point, I started teaching them about the marketing aspects of things uh, and uh, learning about how they could better do this themselves and uh, it, with our service, of course, we want them to be on our service, but we want that to complement their other marketing efforts. Uh, and so it's just been, it's been just a great fit, perfect fit for me. Uh, and, uh, it's a small, uh, nimble, uh, and, and very powerful, uh, company. And you, you'd referred to it as legal tech 1.0 right. and Tell me a little bit about what you mean by that and how that would differ from 2.0 or yeah. even uh, newer stuff. Or newer stuff. So I think it was, you know, uh, Nabil Zumout, our CEO, is uh, is really uh, innovative guy, uh, sharp guy, and uh, and and he was when he created Experts.com. He had he was a bankruptcy attorney uh, working down in Fresno. And he was starting to 
do Google, you know, when 1996 Google searches were kind of up and running and, and uh, he was doing Google searches and seeing what information he could find about people online when he needed an expert for, for a trial or, or for litigation. Uh, and so he came across, boy, you know, I have to call this broker uh, and I have to, I have to ask them, Hey, do you have anybody in this area? And they would then send him five blind CVs. So you don't have anybody's name and you pick one that you think might be the right person. And you don't get to, com- you don't get to communicate with them prior to hiring them. And, uh, and then you have to sign, you got to do a, 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 Oh, what is it? Finder's fee. And then there's a markup on every billable hour. And he thought, boy, this is inefficient. It's costly. And we need to, and with the internet and with the information that's available on the internet, I should be able to do this without the middleman, essentially. And so that's how experts.com got started. He, he, it was in fact supposed to be a practice management system, uh, cloud-based practice management system and then the dot-com bubble bust uh happened in uh, 99 and 2000 he ends up uh, as the uh, majority shareholder buys out uh, everybody else uh and had to kind of refocus or pivot and pivoted into a marketing platform or at that early stage it was known as a as a directory uh we're quite a bit more than that now uh we encompass a heck of a lot more than just a directory today but so you know 99 2000 it was a, a listing service or directory that was not uncommon in in .com. That's what a lot of folks were doing. You populate it with a lot of information. Ours happen to be highly qualified individuals who usually testified in litigation-related circumstances. And uh, so that's why I call it 1.0, because it was essentially an online service to help people and eliminate that middleman. It was, it was early stage. Uh, right around the time that people were doing, um, you know, e-discovery was it was becoming bigger and bigger, and and so it was one of the kind of the first ones in. It wasn't using natural language processing. It wasn't using chatbots. It wasn't. Uh, we were strangely enough, we were cloud-based long before the term cloud-based ever existed. So yeah. our community, you know, the experts and the attorneys could communicate with each other directly through our service when we processed a referral. Um, so we were cloud-based long before that was uh, terminology that was being used. So I think of it as, you know, we're, we've been around you know, 20, almost 20 years now under current management. And, uh, you know, so that's essentially 1.0 in my mind. And uh, yeah. things have certainly changed with what we're seeing now with the automation and uh, we're we're still we still highly focused on customer service uh where there's a lot more software as a service uh style legal tech coming out these days yeah definitely and you know it's a common story right of dis- disintermediation that um seems to have been the start of uh, experts.com as well yep um yeah, so for the past nine years, I know, as you said, you know, you've seen a lot of change in the industry, um, especially, well, when I say industry, I mean legal technology and that, um, I mean, definitely, as we've both seen over the past three years, things have started to heat up um, a lot. 
especially mm-hmm. this past year. Um, the level of investment's been crazy. Yep. What do you What do you think has given rise to that? So I have a kind of a combination experience here um, that that kind of feeds into my understanding of it. And and again, this is in my own, just in my opinion. I'm not using my necessarily my data or others' data to back this up. My my opinion is something that we saw at experts.com uh, happen when the Great Recession hit. Uh, and we've seen since the Great Recession uh, many of the top one top uh, AMLA 100, AMLA 200, we see them on our site, a lot of those, probably 30 or 40 of them regularly coming back to our site and looking for experts um, daily. And I think a big part of that was things have gotten really competitive financially at these big firms. And, and so many of these firms fight for contract. If you're not in like the top 10, maybe, you're fighting for contracts uh, or, or you're putting out requests for a proposal when somebody major like Nike or, or Amazon has a, a litigation and they need their, they need litigation counsel or outside counsel or something like that for a major litigation. They are doing RFPs as though they were uh, just selling their services and trying to find all sorts of ways to differentiate and lower costs uh, so that partners can continue getting paid. Uh, And one of those really expensive things that you get is an expert witness in litigation. Really expect can be really expensive. So if you take, um, an expert who charges five hundred or seven hundred dollars an hour, and then you add a thirty or forty or fifty percent markup on each billable hour because you went with a broker, you're now paying an insane amount of money for no additional service. So this, and if it's a law firm is paying for that out of pocket, or their client is paying for that out of pocket, they want to know what else they're getting for that money. So I think that was a big, big uh, shift in the market. Everything got really competitive because legal services are generally really expensive. And this is another cost that uh, was really expensive and can be, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in a particular litigation or even more in a major litigation, like, like we're seeing in the opioid crisis. So I think, I think, Big firms are trying to cut costs and make themselves and differentiate themselves any way possible. So that was one thing that I think has led to led to this kind of heating up in the legal tech market. Uh, we need to do things faster, more efficient, that and and uh, more not just not just efficient as far as time consuming but cost efficient as well so i think those things are are major contributors to what we're seeing is the legal tech boom if if that's what we're calling it or or the early stages of hopefully what we'll see as legal tech boom i think the great recession was a huge contributor to that um and i also think that many people who were practicing uh 
in during the Great Recession and, and were potentially laid off, went off to do things similar to what I have done is, is well, how can we use our legal education in a, in a different way and, and maybe sell a service to big law or sell a service to solos and small practitioners so that they can see, uh, so that they can do their job better. So I think there's a lot of, lot of that going on. And, and I hear about this from solos and smalls as well. You know, they're just fewer and fewer things that they're able to charge for. So they're looking to see how they can be more efficient, more effective with their time so that they can work on those things that they can bill for instead of wasting time on stuff that they're, you know, unable to really bill for because the because the client can't afford it. So I think that's a real big uh contributor. I also think that access to information and and the ability to build things cheaper, build pretty pretty successful, pretty helpful tools uh, at a cheaper price than maybe you could have 10 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And lots of engineers and, and that you can you can hire in uh, Elance or, or, you know, freelance type of thing to build an app for you. Uh, I, I think these the costs have gone down significantly, so I think it's easier for people to build uh, really great tools for lawyers to use in their practice. Yeah. That's just sort of maybe scra- scratching the surface of that. I'm sure you've got other view- other views as to how this has occurred as well. Well, I, but I totally agree with what you're saying. I think that those are major shifts that have happened and definitely contributed to the you know, the uptake in, in legal tech. And like you said, uh, it hopefully is the beginning of this boom, knock on wood. Knock on <laughs> that, wood. Yeah, that it continues. But um, okay, let's talk about social media. Sure. Um, I think it's, you know, incredible that some lawyers in this day and age are still skeptical about social media, especially in this area where it seems to be the first line of communication for the president of the United States. Um, it's being used and everyone is paying attention to it. I mean, we see Twitter um, in the news all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I was wondering, um, you know, the, the question that you typically that you typically get asked um, by a lawyer, and I've heard this pretty often, I don't know if you've heard it, is does social media really work, <laughs> <laughs> right? And, mm-hmm. and kind of implied in that question is, uh, does it get me a client? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. do, do I do I post something on whatever it is and do I instantly get a client? Right. What, what do you think is wrong with that mindset? So I think part of that mindset is the that's part of what's wrong with that mindset is the get get rich quick kind of mentality. Hmm. Uh, you know, oh, if I OK, so if I post something here, I'll get a client. Well, I don't know. It, were you able to read one contracts case in contracts uh, in your contracts class and then pass the test uh, at the end of the year? No, you had to put effort in. And, and so I think that's, uh, you know, it's uh, these things, social media, it takes effort. 
uh, and it takes time, uh, but it does result in greater brand awareness and it does result in new clients uh, and it does result maybe less than new clients or, or, or more important, maybe you get fewer new clients, but maybe you build because other attorneys in your community are watching what you're doing on social media and I guarantee you some of them will be jealous if you're the one who's leading it and maybe you become the lawyer who gets more referrals from other lawyers because you know they see you as a uh, as an authority in a certain space or or incredibly knowledgeable in a certain space and you you remain top of mind for other attorneys in your community uh, and all of a sudden I, I get people asking me stuff all the time they see my stuff they never they don't they don't like it. They don't comment on it. They don't do anything. I don't know that they're even seeing it. And then I hear something like, hey, I see what you're doing online. It looks uh, it looks like great, man. Uh, things, you know, yeah, I, I, I wish I could do more of that. It, uh, that's <laughs> and, you know, it's just like a two minute video. It took me two minutes to put it together. It took me maybe five to ten minutes uh, total to put it up. And uh, so it it's effort. It's not the, oh, I post something and all of a sudden I have a new client. That's advertising. That's advertising. And that still takes time, uh, you know, separate that. But I think it's a, I think I, I'm sorry, you, you know me, Tom, I, I, I get talking and then I go on a roll. Uh, <laughs> probably went too, uh, too far into depth for saying, I think that they have a, a get rich quick mentality about social media. No, that's, it's quite all right. Um, I appreciate I appreciate what you're saying. I, I, I completely agree too. And and by the way, you made me think of it a, a completely different way, which is it is a get, get rich quick mindset behind that. You know, I didn't think of it that way before, but um, it, it is also miscategorizing it as, yeah. as advertising. Um, and I think that it definitely is something that needs continued effort, just like any relationship. Any does. relationship. Right. And that's really what you're creating when you when you post and when you reach out is this relationship that, as you said, you might not even be aware that you're creating it. That's um, right. Yeah, because people are following you or watching you and they they develop that. And so um, and, and I'll give you this as a as an example, the quickest example I can give you is. You and I got to know each other through social media. We've met once in person. <laughs> it's true in New Orleans. In New Orleans, yeah. And we and I have to tell you, and you don't have to you don't have to reciprocate here, but I have a very fond. I'm very fond of you. I think that you're a very decent stand-up person, uh, and and I like that about you. And that's all been through our social media communications and meeting once in person. That you're, you're right. Um, and actually when we did meet up in New Orleans, uh, I wish we had more time to hang out. Yeah. You know, yep. and I'm, and, and I'm looking forward to the next time that we do. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's just proof of the relationship building. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, and, and that's how lawyers need to think about it. And, and you can advertise through social media as well. And I, and I expect actually think that you should uh, but I don't want you know I want people to use it as building relationships with those in your community those outside your community who then may uh, 
uh, may need a referral. You know, somebody in New York's always needing to find an attorney in California or, or vice versa, or somebody in Nebraska is, Hey, I, you know, somebody reached out to me and I, they're looking for somebody in, in Henderson, Nevada. Do you know anybody? I mean, it's not, this is a common thing I say to members about experts.com is by virtue of be, they're like, well, so where do you guys focus in California for your experts or you focus, you know, in the U.S.? And I said, by virtue of being online with our right. domain name, we're international just by virtue of that. And we, you know, serviced a law firms interna- uh, internationally on many occasions. So and that social media is very similar to that. You don't know who might be looking from New York or Pennsylvania at your at the stuff that you're doing in Paradise, California, if you're doing it really well or if you're likable or a variety of things. Uh, and you don't know when they might have a, a family friend who hears about you, uh, you know, a family friend who is in your area or near your area in need of a lawyer. Definitely. Um you know, for, the, for for old school lawyers, it it it's kind of like you know going to the Rotary Club or going to some social club where you know you go out there for FaceTime to shake hands, yeah. rub shoulders, meet people, hand out your card. You know, um, although I I could go into like whether or not handing out the card should be the primary thing, but right. <laughs> but um. It's kind of the, you know, it, it's similar in a way in that what social media does is it allows you to be social and to get to know more people than you would just sitting in your office. Right. So it's not that different, you know. Not, I, I don't think it's different at all. I, I'll, I, in fact, I think Tom at the conference that we were at together, I, and I think one I went to later last year, and then one I went to earlier this year. I, I didn't even, you know, I think I came home with a four or five cards i i handed out maybe less than 10 and i only hand them out if somebody asks for them but you yeah. know, what i will do uh depending on the the tech level of sophistication is i'll go and connect with that person on twitter or i'll go and connect with that person on linkedin uh, right. and 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 i rarely you know the card thing i just i i i maybe bring 20 cards to a conference yeah yeah they they are becoming a thing of the past yeah. um, so let me ask you for in terms of social media, what platforms do you use? Are they different from each other in what they can do? Um, why do you use one as opposed to another? Yeah, yeah, so I'm usually uh, usually spend my time uh, on the kind of the main four for for legal technology and uh, and fun and family and things like that would be uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, th- that is predominantly, predominantly the four that I spend time on. I used to spend quite a bit of time on Snapchat and made some great uh, some great relationships there as well uh, right. with people all over the world. It's just a matter of you, you do you only have so much time in a day, so you really have to focus your energy. Uh, but Twitter seems to be certainly in legal tech and, uh, and often in the legal space, a really great spot to really, truly interact with a wide variety of people. Uh, 
Uh, and yes, I do use uh, I use each of these differently. Uh, you know, Twitter is is one of those places where you can really communicate with with people that you couldn't otherwise get in touch with. Uh, I believe that's how I, I found you as a guest uh, for Legal Tech Live was through Twitter. Uh, certainly in the legal tech space, Twitter seems to be the predominant force. Uh, it's also more fun than LinkedIn, in my mind. For sure. Uh, and I, you know, I like to have fun on Twitter. Uh, I like to have fun all the time. I mean, that's really, uh, if we're not having fun doing these things, uh, what's the point is kind of one of my frame of mind. Uh, but you can still do that professionally uh, and you can still have a sense of humor without, without being uh a bad person or, or, or doing things that might come back to bite you. And I know lawyers are always concerned about that. Uh, Twitter is one of those places where you can have some really professional conversations, fast moving conversations, uh, and get to know some folks who, who are going to uh, potentially be referral sources, potentially be clients. Cause you're maybe out there sharing information. Uh, certainly LinkedIn has value but it's an ever-changing sort of uh, process over there. To All my experts should generally have a LinkedIn profile, uh, as do most lawyers. Uh, they Oftentimes, that's the starting point for people, for professionals in social media, uh, because they go, oh, okay, this one's related to business. I'm comfortable there. Uh, but it's a lot harder to show personality uh, and likability and things like that on 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 LinkedIn, uh, you know, I think, but it's a great way to showcase your knowledge and your expertise and your uh, professional credentials. Uh, but I do see a lot of you know people just using it as a publishing platform like they used to do for Twitter, uh, and less of an engagement platform. Uh, so I just see a lot of people posting article after, or link after link after link to article after article after article uh, and not doing a lot of engagement. So I think there's some problems there because if you're really not engaging with people and, and communicating with them and building that relationship, uh, it's probably not going to do you a heck of a lot of good. Right. So uh, LinkedIn, I think, has a way to go there and they've also become really spammy uh you know a lot of a lot of messages coming in sales messages hey we saw experts.com or we saw uh text a lawyer legal tech live and we'd like to do this for you and and you can just tell that they haven't read anything about you <laughs> right. so yeah i'm sure you get a ton of those uh, Facebook is a different animal today, especially with the heat that they've been under uh, by governments around the world. And there's a kind of a split between family and friends and professional. Uh, and I use it almost entirely professional. Uh, a lot of activity. You can meet with a lot of lawyers and a lot of potential clients. Uh, in those areas where you have interests. So if you are, uh, your hobby is hiking or biking or something like that, and you are a uh, personal injury attorney, well, you might be the only personal injury attorney in one of those groups on hiking or biking or skiing, snowboarding. Uh, 
and you can get to know people in there who may then have injuries later on and you don't have to be in there just selling hey uh, if anyone needs a lawyer if you're hurt you know but if you're communicating because you're already talking about the things that you enjoy personally and then on top of that you happen to be a lawyer right uh, so the groups on uh, on facebook have uh, become pretty powerful uh, maybe more so than than anything else, because the the pages don't uh, your your company pages don't get the kind of play that they used to, the uh, kind of visibility that they used to. But you probably should have one anyway, uh, and, and you need one for doing Facebook ads. And you can have private groups too, right? You can have private groups. That's absolutely open to the public. Yeah, and then that's what we did with the legal tech community because I wanted to get people who were more serious about this stuff. So I'm not looking to grow a massive community of 10,000 people who, anything like that. I wanted people who were interested in legal tech to talk about legal tech. And I'm very, uh, very reluctant in the uh, legal tech community on Facebook. I, I obviously didn't uh, make this an experts.com or a legal tech live group. I made it a community, I specifically uh, titled it community. Uh, and I rarely promote anything of my own in there other than we live stream into that group uh, mm -hmm. because I want people sharing and talking and communicating and growing uh, the community together and discussing important issues in, in legal and legal tech and, and how they intersect. So, uh, you know, I, I do, I try to do very little self-promotion in that group, but we do, we do stream the show into that group so that those who are interested can, can ask questions of our guests. So let's talk a little bit about, types of posts because sure. um you know one is the the publication type post that you'd mentioned where people are just kind of pushing content out it might be a link it might be just a statement about something or a pr type release hey we right. just upgraded our app or whatever um but then there's um the type of post that actually gets engagement and mm -hmm. that's where on Twitter, for example, you get an actual thread of people going back and forth talking about a certain subject, and it's actually pretty cool when it gets going. But I guess my question for you is, what do you think? What do you think creates that engagement? Because people certainly would want that, but what kind of post do you think lends itself more towards engagement than not? Uh, in a, are you talking LinkedIn specifically, or on on just any platform? Let's say Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. yeah, you know, that on Twitter, I think it's hardest to figure out which one uh, gets engagement. I do a variety of professional and then I, I do try and, you know, if, if a thought makes me laugh uh, and I think it might make others laugh, I share that as well, you know, and and uh, some of those get the best engagement for me. Yeah. Uh, seems to be... Uh, I've, I've tried to cut out uh, links with images in them or, or or posts with images in them because or I've tried to cut back on that. I still do publish on 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 uh, use Twitter as a publishing platform, and usually those will have pictures, but uh, those will get a few clicks and not much engagement, and that's okay. If if somebody I want that for those who are interested in that information to be able to find it. But it seems to me that Twitter has gone back uh, a bit to its roots and where more 
commentary, more text seems to get the most engagements. And certainly the polls seem to do a good job of getting engagement. Uh, you can run a poll over there. And if you've got a, you know, pretty active following those, those do well. So if you're asking questions, oh, right. Uh, if you're asking questions, uh, the that type of thing usually does pretty good because people want to answer questions or, you know, uh, um, they and they want to engage and they want to share their two cents. So certainly this this seems to have been common thread among social media for a long time that if you're asking questions and not just you know, a lot of the social media marketers will just ask questions solely for engagement. They don't, but it's really unimportant. I don't, I, I see in the legal and legal tech communities, I see a lot more valuable uh, engagement. If you're asking a real question, you know, uh, Hey, what do you think are the greatest attributes of automation? You know, can you give me your, top three greatest attributes uh, or characteristics of automation? What are the greatest three benefits? If you're really interested in that topic, and people can usually know if you're interested in that topic because you've probably communicated with them about, about this issue before. And so they'll, they'll give back and you can really do some uh, great research on Twitter. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I definitely agree that a lot of the posts that are a little more personal, a lot, in, in the sense that they're casual and yep. it's, just, it's just like random stuff that we as human beings think, <laughs> think right. about and talk about and laugh about. Yeah. Those are the things I think that really catch my eye and get me to participate because on one level, like we all know that, you know, we're lawyers, we're professionals or we're legal tech, you know, professionals or what have you. We have some level of technical skill but we're really not on there to be constantly engaging about that because, right. you know, that would be boring. <laughs> and you can see this. You can see this. This is a real common mistake of lawyers is the new blog post is out and they shared it on Twitter. And then the next one, call us at 1-800-da-da-da-da-da, you know, and it's entirely professional all the time. And they're using it strictly as publishing. Yeah. Uh, and I'll unfollow them. They, you know, I'll just, uh, you know, I see a few of those in a row and I don't see, or it's only retweeting something that others say. So you're not actually contributing anything personal or, or thoughtful or anything like that. Uh, and, and that gets real old real fast. And people, if people aren't liking and commenting on your, on your stuff, pretty soon because of the algorithm, they're not seeing your posts. So you're, 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 uh, you know, you may have 10,000 followers, but nobody's actually interacting with you. And uh, so they're not seeing, they stop seeing your posts because, uh, because uh, Twitter pushes it down. So what about, what about live? I know it's been around for a while now on Twitter and Facebook, but how do you use it? And how do you think it's different from text posts? Yeah, so live, I think, is really great to get to know people, which is why Ivan uh, Raiklin, my co-host, and I decided to do live video show, because there are a lot of podcasts in legal, uh, a lot of in there. So they're not interactive. It's just one way you listening to uh whoever the host and the guests are. Uh, yep. And there's great value there. 
there's no doubt, but it, it is also, I think maybe a little bit saturated and, and many of the podcasts are difficult to, to differentiate. Uh, and, and some of them are really dry, but I found that I like being able to see the personality of those people that I'm interacting with. I've also found that it is the next best thing to meeting people in person. Hmm. So I've built some really great relationships with people through doing the live interviews and being on live with folks because, and, and I've noticed that you really get to know, like, and trust somebody a lot uh, a lot faster through live. And I think that it, it has a huge value. Uh, lawyers get to show a little bit more personality than they would through text only. Uh, and I've often found that uh, when I meet people then in person, uh, it's a lot more hand, a lot more hugs than handshakes because you <laughs> feel like, you know, the person, more than you would just through text. Oh, that sounds great. I got to switch over immediately. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just think it builds a builds a better relationship or a deeper relationship. Yeah. No, I, I get it. And I've seen the interviews um, th that you've had and they, uh, yeah, they're definitely more, more engaging. Um, I appreciate that. So let's see. Um, besides experts, um, and, and the, the live, what, what do you post about? Like what, how often do you post? What do you, what would you like, if somebody was asking you for the first time, Hey, I'm going to get into the social media thing. What, what should I post about and how often should I do it? Yeah. Are those the right questions to ask? I don't know that they're the right questions to ask. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty comfortable doing it now. So I, I don't know if those are the right questions to ask. I, I think when you've got a thought that you might be, you might find humorous or entertaining or educational or informative, and it's worth sharing is when you share, or you found an article that you, Hey, this was a really good article and here's why and you share that. So I, I, you know, there, there are some recommendations, I, uh, guides maybe, uh, they say you, you, I, I don't know that I agree with this anymore on Twitter, but they say you can never post too much on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think the algorithm has changed that significantly. And so I think because, because it used to just be a fire hose of information and real time information and your tweet would no longer be seen once it was, uh, after about 20 minutes, it wouldn't be seen again because it had been pushed down by so many other tweets. So that's why it used to be that frequent posts and re and uh, repeat posts were so common. Now, that's not the, that's not true anymore. You show up in my feed uh, because I've liked uh, other I've liked other stuff uh, that you've posted or I've shared or I've commented on stuff that you've posted before. So you show up in my feed more regularly than uh, so you don't have to constantly they deliver that information to me as a user uh, based on my uh, previous actions so i don't think that you have to post as often anymore on twitter so i think you should think of uh, what's the value uh, that you're providing to the user on the other end do you have anything of value to share if you don't then then don't share 
But I think yeah. you do need to start sharing at least once a day till it becomes a habit for you. Uh, before, until it becomes one of those things that you get used to doing. Uh, okay, I've got one thing to share on LinkedIn. Maybe you don't have a comment or text-only post on LinkedIn for one day, uh, but you found an article. Okay, well, in that case, you found something you thought it was valuable, you shared it on, on LinkedIn. Uh, do that. So I think you got to, by starting, you have to share pretty regularly. Um just so that it becomes kind of a second nature to you to share things. Uh, right. You know, I, I think that, it, and look, I don't always have time to share. I'm pretty active because I'm often in the office. Uh, and so I have Twitter open throughout the day and I can interact on a regular basis. But you'll there will be days you won't see much from me uh, other than maybe some a couple of things that I scheduled to share because I'm busy. I get that. But I always <laughs> come back to it. Are there are there metrics that you track to see how how your posts are going? There's metrics on all of these uh, platforms that you can track. Uh, if you have pay the paid subscription on on LinkedIn, there's uh, better uh, better metrics for you on Twitter, Twitter Analytics, uh, and Facebook's uh, got some great analytical tools for the standard sharing. I don't care as long as I feel like I'm building relationships with people that I want to build relationships with. Mm. So I don't really care what, certainly it's great when you see that, uh, that four or 500 people have liked something that you've posted that that's, Oh, wow. You know, that's interesting. Uh, or 50 people have liked or commented on something that you've shared. Okay, well, that's interesting. I wonder why that why that got so much more play than than other stuff that I've done. Certainly, that's interesting to me, but it is not. A, it's a, a often referred to as a vanity metric, right? In uh, in in not real useful to me. If I'm engaging with lawyers who might use the experts.com service, or I'm engaging with legal tech people that I that I want to have on the podcast uh, or on the show. Uh, or those who might use our, you know, service, who might be guests, or those that I've gotten to know, and I'm continuing to build that relationship, or those who are friends, then that's the value that I see there. Uh, it, that value builds your brand. Uh, and I don't look at the number of followers, and I don't really care too much about the metrics. I care about the metrics if I'm doing paid paid advertising, then I really care about the metrics. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's about building relationships, not, yep. not numbers. Uh, so what do you think the future holds for social media? Do you think it's going to kind of keep on this track or what, what ways do you think it might evolve? That's a great question. I don't know how it's going to evolve. There's, there's so much out there about privacy these days and concerns about privacy. Uh, I've decided to live most of my life on, uh, you know, I, I don't tell people everything. The, I don't tell the world anything I don't want them to know about me on social media, but I've decided to invest part of my time and share certain aspects of my life on social media because I think that's enough, that's one of the ways that you build relationships with others. A lot of people know that I have nieces and a nephew. Uh, I know that you have two daughters. 
mm-hmm. you know, so, and, and I appreciate those things about others when they're sharing that. I think it's a better way to get people, get to know people with greater depth. But if, if I'm going through a bad breakup or I'm, uh, you know, I have, uh, you know, somebody in the family sick or something like that. I don't necessarily share that. It depends on, on when I, what I feel like sharing. So you don't have to share everything. You've got to share enough to let people know that you're a human. Um, You know, the, probably the hardest thing I had to share is my little dog passed away who had been with me for 13 years. And I'll tell you, you know, with all the negative comments about social media and how awful it is, the, outpouring of love and kindness i got from that by the way she went viral it was the most activity i'd ever had on anything i'd ever posted uh and and it was viral for for by my standard right not by uh fire festival standard um but (laughs) but which is a standard i don't i don't look to achieve i don't Um, think anybody does right um but you know that really okay this is different this is all the negative political stuff that i hear people talking about and how it's so detrimental i gotta tell you there were some just some great very kind and loving posts from people i had never met and i'd never interacted with and you're like okay is it really all negative uh so i don't think it is Uh, i didn't get one i didn't get one person who was uh spam or or troll through that and that was really kind of an interesting uh experience um and that was probably the most uh difficult thing for me to share because she was my buddy for so long um so i don't know how it's going to change watching the regulation the regulators i i think that uh Something like Facebook, uh, there's certainly a big push right now with Google, Facebook, and uh, I think Apple. Uh, there's there's certainly some regulators sniffing around uh, for antitrust violations and things like that. So we may see uh, some breaking up of companies in the future. I don't think it'll be immediate, and, and they'll certainly fight it every step of the way. Uh, so how it's cha- how it'll change i think it'll be re- i think you'll be required to share more personally uh if you really want to build relationships not not necessarily you'll have to share more not that you have to get more personal and more emotional but i think you'll have to be really get to know people on a more personal level for it to be uh, of great value to you uh, facebook i've already kind of decided uh, that it's, it's greatest value is in advertising, uh, the, the, uh, using their ad system ads manager, I think is the greatest value because I don't notice that a lot of people are over there. It's certainly on my profile, uh, posting anything that I care about personally or professionally most of the time. Well, so we've talked a bit about legal tech and social media and it's all good stuff, but I would like to know, what do you like to do in your spare time? Like, <laughs> apart from this stuff, or do you have spare time? So I don't have as much spare time as I once did. Uh, and, and I mean, I'm kind of heavily invested in everything legal tech. So really, uh, Legal Tech Live is part of my spare time. 
uh, you know, that's that's one of that's just a hobby. Uh, that's not that's not a money maker. Not to say that we wouldn't do it, but it's really a, a hobby. Um, and uh, you know, I I uh, I'm still still trying to find my way in in uh, what I do because I spent so much time with my dog and walking the dog and, and doing that I have a lot more free time now than I used to. So I'm kind of trying to find my way into, all right, well, what do I do now uh, with all this free time? I had an elderly dog for uh, quite a few years there who had health issues. And, you know, so I was, was full-time caretaker when I was in the, in the office. Uh, but she was, you know, not full-time care. She just had to have medicines at certain times and she loved to walk and she loved to go for rides. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big animal, uh, big fan of animals. I, I love animals of all types. Uh, so who knows, I may be in the near future volunteering around them. Although I, I imagine that's how I'll end up, uh, with another dog. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I like, uh, like going to Tahoe, uh, go there a couple of times a year, uh, and, uh, like spending time with, uh, friends and family and with my nieces and nephew. And so those are the things that I do. I don't have, I don't have, uh, one big, uh, used to do karate years ago. Uh, and I don't have some like major hobby like that anymore. I've gotten pretty business with, uh, pretty busy with with work and with side jobs and and things that uh, kind of keep the mind busy yeah i definitely know what that's like <laughs> <laughs> well um thank you nick i i really loved getting to know you better how, how can people follow you follow up with you follow you keep in touch sure sure so they can Find me at experts.com. If they want to email me, they can email me at nick at experts.com. That's N-I-C-K at experts.com. Uh, and then there's uh, Twitter, obviously, is a great place to reach me. Uh, you can reach me at, at experts.com VP, all spelled out, all one word. That's at experts.com VP. Uh, and then, uh, if they want to connect on LinkedIn, connect with me there. You can also find me on legal tech live every Thursday night. Fantastic. And thanks again, Nick, for being my guest today. Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate it. And thank you all for listening into our podcast, social media. What is it good for with Nick Rishway? Again, this is Tom Martin. Um, I want to thank GLSA for sponsoring. Remember joining GLSA is just a good way for solos and small firms to increase their business. Check us out at glsaonline.org. See you next month.